1: Contact our brewery sales team to provide you with the hop-related tools you need to craft your next great beer. For more information, visit hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand-new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com.
2: Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com.
0: now only two episodes between this one and the start of the World Brewing Congress. If you haven't already registered, what the heck are you waiting for? There's even an option for free registration. Paid registration gets you access to content that would normally cost you hundreds of dollars, perhaps thousands, depending on where you would have been traveling from. There's only one place you can get a little appetizer of WBC Connect content, and that's right here on the Master Brewers podcast. During the next few weeks, we'll be chatting with some of my favorite e-poster session presenters.
3: If you've smelled a skunk, uh, if you've smelled cannabis, a lot of people say that cannabis is skunky. Uh, That's pretty much the the stink that comes out in light shrug beer. This week
0: on the show, we're talking about poster number 143, which will be presented in just a few weeks at the 2020 World Brewing Congress. Today, the poster's authors will explain how they de-skunked beer.
3: Hi, I'm Catherine. I'm the market development manager with Seria Brewing Company.
4: Hi, I'm Keith Fia. I'm the brewmaster and co-founder of Seria Brewing Company. I really doubt there's anyone listening to this who
0: isn't already familiar with the concept of light-struck beer, but just in case, talk about what's going on there.
3: Yeah, so even if you don't know the source of it, most beer drinkers have experienced the the light-struck characteristic that forms in beer on sunny days. Uh, Most people describe this off-flavor as skunky or sulfurous, and humans are extremely sensitive to it. We can detect this compound down to the part-per-trillion level. And... Uh, chemically, this is due to the, the photooxidation of the isohumulones, the the bitter uh, the beer bittering compounds in hops. Uh, the MBT, the three methyl two butene one thiol, that's the the light struck aroma, is derived from the decomposition of the iso alpha acids under UV or visible light.
0: And when UV light reacts with isohumulone in beer, just how similar is the result to the thials that come out of a skunk's rear end?
3: Very. <laughs> if you've smelled a skunk, uh, if you've smelled cannabis, a lot of people say that cannabis is skunky. Uh, that's pretty much the the stink that comes out in light struck beer.
4: A lot of us in the industry refer to it as an off flavor, however, uh, for import beers, at least here in the United States, uh, there are some products that have light struck to them, and consumers sometimes view this as a, an import cue that they look for and if if uh, if it 's not there, they think there's an issue or a problem with the beer so uh, so with that uh, taken into regard, uh, we have to uh, be careful not to call it uh, just the catch-all term uh, an off flavor, because it is it's it's definitely a, a flavor that may seem off in some products, but in other products, it certainly is not an off flavor.
0: Yeah, some people think, hey, I, I paid more for that import, and I expect that flavor to be there because that's what I'm used to, right? Exactly, yes. Okay. Well, you know, a handful of methods for preventing this reaction have been in use for many years. Basically, the approach has been to either prevent or at least limit exposure to UV light or to use pre-isomerized light-stable hot products, right?
3: Yep, exactly. A lot of brewers are able to minimize the impact of uh, MBT, the light-struck compound, by packaging in dark amber bottles or by packaging in cans, which eliminates light altogether. Um, but exactly what you said, a lot of uh some brewers are actually using light stable uh, hops right now
4: yeah the, and the light stable hops are uh, uh, tetra and roe compounds, and those uh, certainly can can work uh they don't cure the problem they they do minimize it but they do certainly don't cure the problem uh because uh, even uh if you did make a beer with with tetra or row uh, and exposed it to to bright light and, and we should also clarify it's not just uv light it's also white light so it's in, any visible light uh will uh, provide the um the, the power to break these bonds and, and form MBT. Uh, so uh, even the, the light stable hop compounds uh, minimize it, but they eventually will turn skunky. Do you know, have any information on how long um, breweries have been using dark glass to combat this? Well, I think the one thing we can do is correlate uh, one of the first documented uh, occurrences uh, of somebody, uh, actually, describing light-struck character in beer, and that happened in in 1875, and and then we know that uh, bottles uh, were, were tinted not too long after that, um, and we could probably deduce that uh, that they found out that dark glass helped to uh, to minimize that character. Um, uh, although certainly there were beers that were still packaged in clear glass bottles after that, but uh, uh, from 1875 onwards, um, that's where you will start to see the appearance of of uh, darker glass. And and we know that clear glass does not offer protection. Blue glass does not offer protection. Blue or cobalt, they call it. And uh, green glass offers very minimal protection. It's only the brown glass that offers the most. And of course, like Catherine said, uh, cans uh, offer uh, the best protection because they completely eliminate uh, light uh, exposure.
0: All right. I guess let's, uh, you know, we just talked about sort of how you prevent this reaction, but um, you guys had an idea for a different approach. Let's hear about that.
3: Yeah. Um, For a little bit of background first, uh, I should say that my dad has been a brewer for a long time, since the 80s, and he and my mom have also, uh, they used to make wine at home, And so they're really familiar with uh, fermentation. And additionally, my husband, Frank, is a distiller. So one day when he was giving us a tour, they were actually changing out the copper mesh that they use in their still. And I asked why they needed it. And he said it was to remove the sulfur smell that forms during fermentation. And that kind of... Uh, sulfur is hydrogen sulfide. So that got us, my dad and I, to thinking we knew that copper was used to clean up the sulfurous vapors in distilling. And we know it's commonly added to copper is commonly added to wine before packaging to clean the same compound. But we were looking into brewing and we did see that there have been studies using copper to remove hydrogen sulfide as well but we wondered if copper could also be used to clean up mbt also a, a sulfur containing compound
4: yeah and uh, it, it was uh, interesting because uh, we thought um, you know why hasn't somebody done this before especially uh, uh, the researchers in europe who really were at the forefront in in actually japan too in discovering uh, the the MBT compound and discovering how it was formed, you know, why why hasn't somebody else uh, questioned uh, the fact that this is a sulfur compound and therefore why can't you try uh, to add copper to uh, remove it or prevent it? And there's also
0: a uh, this is the, I think the TQ paper is about twenty years old now, but there's also some some work done um, sh- sort of showing how these um, copper electrolysis
4: systems work as well, right? Yes. Um, so so yeah, the uh, uh, there's a group out of Canada that uh, um, really did a lot of work on on copper electrolysis, and they showed that uh, just adding um, uh, parts per billion uh, of, of copper uh, is very effective in cleaning up the aroma of beer. And, um, and they, they, of course, focused on hydrogen sulfide, as Catherine uh, said previously, but they never really did anything on um, the sulfur-containing MBT compound. Okay, so uh, you guys set out to use
0: copper to, to, to go after MBT, um, and you set up a, a four-part experiment. Uh, what was part one?
3: Yeah, so the first thing we wanted to do was just to test if this hypothesis even works. Uh, so as an initial test, we uh, added a redundant amount of copper, and we actually used copper in the form of copper gluconate, uh Uh, bright blue powder, uh, and we added that to a a domestic US uh, lager. We added uh, the lager to a French square, which is just a a glass bottle, and we sealed it and that was our control. And then we also added another can of it to uh, another bottle with a copper gluconate solution and sealed that. And we just gently agitated uh, both of the bottles and then placed them in direct sunlight for 10 minutes. And after that, we brought the bottles back inside and examined them. Um, We found that the control displayed the light-struck character or the skunkiness. And the test that included the copper gluconate did not display the light-struck character. But... We also found that uh, wh- when we were adding the copper gluconate, uh, we did find that the, uh, it resulted in a large amount of foaming or gushing. And also the color of the beer was tinted to be a light blue golden kind of color. So we knew that it worked, but we also knew that we added too much.
4: And I should chime in that uh, for this first experiment, we use canned uh, domestic lager uh, because we wanted to make sure that the beer... Was not previously exposed to light, so uh, so we, we were careful to use canned product, um, and it was kept at four degrees uh, centigrade. So it was, it was nice and cold, and um, yeah, so it was just like Catherine said, uh, a very uh, quick and dirty experiment just to prove the concept, and um, and and it worked. Okay, yeah. it worked, but you made Smurf beer. So what what happened for part two? <laughs>
3: So this time we decreased the copper addition. It was the same test with the same domestic lager, but we decreased the copper to uh, kind of correlate uh, closely with the IBU content of the lager. And this time we also decided to use a a digital lux meter so that we could uh, measure the light exposure that was uh, being exposed onto the beers outside. So we, we did the same thing. We had our control. We had our, uh, our lager and we added a, a lesser amount of the copper gluconate solution. We put both of the uh, bottles outside for 10 minutes and then we brought them back inside afterwards and, and evaluated them again. Uh, we, what we found was that the control displayed light struck character like we thought it would, and the test did not display it. So at this point, we were, we were on the right track, and there was no excessive foaming this time or any color change.
4: And, and we should also point out that we chose 10 minutes, uh, that was actually Catherine's idea, because uh, in the literature, it says that the reaction uh, can take place in as little as a few seconds in bright, direct sunlight. Uh, but uh, to Catherine's point, she was saying, well, you know, if she were with friends socializing with a beer, it takes her about 10 minutes to, to gulp down that beer. And uh, I'm sure she could do it faster. But uh, <laughs> it, it, when she's socializing, it takes about 10 minutes, you know, just to, to um, enjoy a beer. Uh, and so that's why we chose 10 versus, you know, uh, 10 seconds or, or 30 minutes. So in uh, 10, sec- 10 minutes seemed uh, to be perfect.
3: And uh, we did find that overall, adding copper greatly reduced the amount of light stroke character.
0: I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas.
2: Master Brewers Podcast is brought to you by RAR North Star Pills, a new base malt to set your compass by. RAR North Star Pills is crafted for brewers looking for a domestic Pilsner malt with low color and low modification. North Star Pills carries overtones of honey and sweetbread, supported by flavors and aromas of hay and nutty character. Suitable for any beer style, but particularly craft-brewed versions of classic lagers. Let RAR North Star Pills guide your craft by visiting bsgcraftbrewing.com or contact us at 1 800 374 2739. Additional support provided by Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation live streams data from your active fermentations, allowing you to remotely track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity. From any smartphone tablet or PC. Try it free for 30 days. Visit precisionfermentation.com MBAA. As you might imagine, there still aren't any opportunities
0: to gather in person for district meetings, but that doesn't slow us down. After all, Master Brewers, which was formed in 1887, has survived more than one pandemic. Spring and summer have brought us numerous webinars and virtual district meetings, many of which can be replayed on demand. You've heard me talking about the 2020 World Brewing Congress for several months now. As I've mentioned, it's my favorite industry conference. I've been looking forward to it since the 2016 WBC ended. Unfortunately, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we won't be able to gather in Minneapolis as planned. As much as that stinks, there is a pretty serious silver lining. WBC 2020 is going fully virtual, which means you can access the world's most cutting-edge research in brewing science and technology easily and affordably from the comfort of your own home. Registration for WBC Connect is now open, with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details, or check the direct link in the show notes. You've probably heard of or even attended one of the famous two-week courses that Master Brewers puts on each year in Madison. Well, those classes will be all virtual this year, which means you can now get the same education without spending money to travel and while taking advantage of 45% off course tuition. The Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins October 11th, and the Brewing and Malting Science course starts October 25th. The Master Brewers Podcast Working Group still needs representation from a few more districts. Look for details in the Master Brewers Communicator or go to masterbrewerspodcast.com slash workinggroup. Now back to the show. Part three expanded the playing field a bit. Talk about that.
3: Yeah, so uh, for part three, we decided to include a couple of different kinds of beers. Uh, we chose four beers total three of them are widely available macro loggers. One was the same one we used in part one and part two, a domestic logger. Uh, the second one we chose was uh, a large uh, a Mexican logger. And the third one we chose was a Dutch logger. And the fourth beer was actually a, a craft IPA with a lot higher IBUs.
0: All right. So... What happened
3: we took the the IBUs and we estimated the right copper uh, dosage rate uh, depending on the IBUs and we added the the different dosages to the beers and put them outside for, this time it was for 15 minutes. Like my dad said, the the reaction can actually happen in less than a minute. Uh, If it's direct sunlight, it can be less than 10 seconds. Um, But we decided to do 15 minutes of direct sunlight. And what we found uh, was that all of the controls displayed some level of light struck uh, character, but all of or for the most part the the beers added with copper didn 't either didn 't display any light struck character or displayed a lesser um, lesser amount of light struck character. Uh, the way we rated it was uh, on a scale of one to five, and we uh, just tried to rate them relative to each other, and uh, we did find that overall. Adding copper greatly reduced the amount of light-struck character.
0: And, and this part of the experiment, you did this in duplicate um, on different days as well, right?
3: Yeah, we did it twice, uh, the whole experiment twice, and then averaged, averaged it to get those results.
4: As far as getting the beers, uh, we tried to control uh, for light-struck character. So as we said previously, the domestic lager was canned... And so that one was was uh, not light struck. The Mexican lager, um, uh, which typically comes, we won't name names, but <laughs> you, you <laughs> might, might be able to guess, but uh, uh, the leading Mexican lager import, uh, we, cho- we chose to use a canned version instead of the clear glass version. Again, to make sure that there was no previous exposure to light. Uh, the Dutch lager, uh, we, we did get... Bottles of that, but it was in the the wrapped cardboard container. So, um, so it was it was wrapped. And in, in when we got the package, we made sure that uh, that even the, the the finger holes on the side to lift the package were not opened. Uh, so typically, there's perforated uh, openings and all that stuff. But we made sure it was completely sealed again to minimize any light exposure. And um, and then uh, as, as Catherine. Uh, I think, said we also used uh, one of the leading craft beers. Or did you say that, Catherine? I don't know.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, leading craft IPA.
4: Yeah, and and the craft beer was also uh, canned, uh, again, to, to make sure that there was no previous light exposure to it. All right. Part four is pretty interesting.
0: In brewing, we're usually stuck with the final results, good or bad. But here, you wanted to see if you could turn back the clock.
3: Yeah, well once we found that uh that this light-struck character was preventable in the first place, we decided to use the the three beers that we saw exhibited the most light-struck character uh as our controls without the copper gluconate, and we decided to add copper gluconate to those beers to see if to see if maybe uh, it would be reversible. And so uh, the three beers that we found that displayed the most light-struck character from our previous experiment was a domestic lager, uh, the Mexican lager, and the Dutch lager. And so after those ones were were light-struck for 15 minutes, we added uh, the same amount of um, of copper gluconate Uh, depending on their IBUs and then we just gently agitated the beers um, because the reaction is is almost instantaneous and then we opened up the beers and evaluated them and uh, tried to look for that that light struck character and all three of them resulted in no detectable light struck aroma
0: wow that's pretty cool now, when you say reversible, you're not actually converting thiols back into isohumulone. You're really precipitating copper sulfide or something similar, I think, right?
4: Uh, we we think so. We have not analyzed because we um, we have a very small brewery that doesn't have the latest in high-tech uh, uh, GCMSs or any of that equipment. So we... we uh, uh, Aren't able I to be bet rich. you know some folks that could help you out, though. We we certainly do, and uh, uh, yeah, because it would be interesting, and that's our guess is that uh, uh, that those very minute amounts of uh, uh, MBT, uh, because again, we're talking probably parts parts per billion, uh, were precipitated, and uh, and that's that's what uh, really happened is. is uh, Uh, the copper precipitated amount so that you don't, they're they're no longer flavor active. Um, And of course, that's probably a a good study for, for a young promising uh, graduate student uh, who wants to become a famous brewer someday. They can uh, prove that, but uh, at least we've, we've done the initial work showing that it is reversible uh, because uh, Catherine has has dug up a lot of research, previous research on MBT and, the prevailing viewpoint is that uh, this reaction is not reversible, or, or at least the, the flavor, once it's there, is not reversible, and, and also uh, that it's not preventable uh, unless you use some of the standard technologies that have been developed over the last oh, 50 years, so, uh, which we've already talked about uh, uh, packaging in cans or using uh, light stable hop compounds or uh, even. Uh, uh, trying to get rid of uh, the photosensitizer um, that, that's in beer
0: I don't remember where I heard this but at some point I remember being taught that the use of copper is prohibited after the brew house so you can have copper you can have a copper kettle for example but you're not supposed to have any copper parts or fittings that come in direct contact with finished beer. I think copper gluconate, which is what you use in these trials, is uh, considered a dietary supplement, but is it considered to be safe for use as a beer ingredient?
4: Here in the U.S., um, uh, of course, uh, water uh, is, is added to quite a few high-gravity beers, and water uh, may or may not contain uh, certain compounds uh, naturally or, or, or sometimes added. Um, and then you you can run beer uh, through an electrolysis copper electrolysis uh, uh, to to add minute amounts of copper. Uh, so the bottom line, though, is is with copper, you're right; it is a supplement uh, recognized as safe up to ten milligrams. Uh, Per day per person, so uh, so that's that's a, I think according to the, the WHO uh, World Health, Health Organization standards. Um, but again, as, as, since we're talking about uh, parts per trillion and parts per billion, um, it uh, it is well, be okay. Yeah, it's well below the ten milligrams. Uh, that's the maximum level that's recommended for copper intake per day.
0: All right, pretty cool. Are there any other downsides or side effects associated with adding
4: copper gluconate to beer? Well, as Catherine said, um, you do have to uh, make sure that it doesn't... uh, uh lead to gushing and, and foaming. Of course, that was with a large amount of copper because that's, that's pretty well documented that uh, uh, the addition or the addition, the uh, presence of heavy metals uh, will lead to foaming and gushing in beer uh, as well as uh, it will lead to uh, heavy metal oxidation and shorter shelf life of the beer. Uh, but again, at the part per trillion level and part per billion level, uh, we think that those, that's going to be very minim- minimized
0: all right. Um, I was wondering, is this approach particularly interesting to your process at Saria Brewing? Did Keith find a good deal on some 50-barrel glass carboys, or did you mostly just want to see if this would work?
4: Gosh, I, I think we... Uh, well, one one thing that uh, we thought about was, was actually uh, when people enjoy our beer or even our competitors beers in the summertime, uh, you know, they, they walk around with a beer, some, uh, drink out of the can, some drink out of the bottle and some, uh, have draft beer. And, and for us, uh, it's really fun to have draft beer and, and, you know, walk around with a glass of beer. And, uh, and so we hope that someday our findings can be used by, by not just us, but, uh, uh, a lot of people in the brewing industry to to offer beers that people can enjoy while they're socializing in the in the sun and in on a nice, beautiful summer day um, post COVID, and um, uh, you know, just just really not worry about uh, the smell turning skunky.
0: You mentioned earlier about sort of the connection between cannabis and and um, and, and these compounds. Is there anything, you know, unique or relevant about your your process with the, the beers that you're making where this, um, you know, this becomes particularly
4: important or interesting to, to you? Well, I, I think with uh, cannabis beer, um, th- I think that's probably the, the next uh, set of experiments we'll do is, is to see what happens when you have uh, cannabis in the beer uh, uh, in particular, THC to see if, if uh, copper interacts or, or does anything uh, with THC, because that's um, for our cannabis beers. That's that's the primary uh, intoxicant instead of alcohol, because our our cannabis beers are are. Um, non-alcoholic beers because as as you probably have heard uh, it's illegal for us to sell beers that contain both alcohol and cannabis so we remove the alcohol and put in the cannabis and um and that will be interesting to see what copper does i uh, at this point i i really can't t- take a guess as, as to what it would do to the the uh, cannabinoids i would hope that it doesn't touch them but uh, again we um uh, We'll we'll try to see if if there is any effect. Somebody told me I don't know if this is true. Somebody told me that in um in the UK that they
0: don't call it they don't call it skunky beer because they they refer to skunks as cat as um they call it caddy instead. Is that right? Did yeah, you about catty, that
4: caddy, which is strange because yeah. we we have a, a term that we use that's caddy here in the United States. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's it's a. Uh, I think for us it's more or less a um, a smell that's uh like uh well like cat almost like cat urine it's right. uh, prevalent in uh uh white wines but but in particular um um uh, which one is it uh uh oh gosh so New Zealand, the, the the main white wine out of New Zealand it's not Chardonnay it's uh Sauvignon Blanc Sauvignon Blanc has that real strong catty aroma if, so next I, I don't want to ruin it for you, John. But uh, next time you have a Sauvignon Blanc, uh, just try to notice the, the the subtle aroma of cat pee in there. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I pretty much just stick to beer anyway, so okay. It's, it's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that was Catherine and Keith via here on the Master Brewers Podcast. Check the show notes for a link to their WBC Connect e-poster session. Look. I know you're probably zoomed out and totally sick of virtual this and virtual that. I know I am. But WBC Connect is not just another virtual conference. This is a meeting that I usually drop everything for because it's the most serious international gathering of technical brain power in our industry and it only happens once every four years. If you're serious about your career in brewing, you're crazy not to attend at least part of this. Registration for WBC Connect is now open with information on both free and paid programming options. Visit worldbrewingcongress.org for details or check the direct link in the show notes. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, ABS, Proximity Malt, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.